the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. It is Open Line Friday. Anything on your mind, we are here from you. Portions of this show are brought to you by our good friends over at Trades Unlimited for all your roofing needs. It's that time of year. The sun is scorching in our unpredictable monsoon season and back. And that means it's time to think about your roof and it's time to think about Trades Unlimited. The damage being done to your roof is constant. Heat, wind, rain, and even dust bring daily challenges to your roof and over time cause significant damage. As a homeowner, you likely won't even know about it. If your roof is 15 years or older, the underlayment must be checked now. At 15 years old, that underlayment dries out. Cracks then become susceptible to all sorts of leaks. Some you see and some you don't until it's too late. And for some of you, maybe it's time to consider a foam roof. For those who have a flat roof, the benefits of foam are insulation from heat, noise, and leaks and water. If you already have a foam roof and it's five years old or more, it's time to have it inspected and recoded. It's likely disintegrating. Give Trades Unlimited a call for any roofing needs you may have, foam roofs, other kinds of roofs, new, inspections, repairs, Give them a call at 480-483-1775 or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com. The company with an A-plus rating at the Better Business Bureau, the company I use. Aaron is in Phoenix. Hello, Aaron. Hey, Beth. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for giving us a call. I've been listening for a long time, first time calling in, so I just want to compliment your listeners. I learn stuff every week, and I, I do think that this is the smartest audience, probably myself excluded. But <laughs> yeah, I've probably me excluded. It's a damn smart audience. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out, Aaron. It's very true. I love this group. I, I do, too. Um, so I wanted to talk about masking, and I, I think that we're making a mistake at, as conservatives in overthinking a lot of this. Okay. And I spent my early 20s in the military, and we had rules for everything. We had uh, rules for safety and chemicals and all kinds of stuff, right? And what I realized is we also had protective equipment. And so it got me thinking about if, if these stores or if employers are telling people, you have to mask up again, I think the question we should be asking them is, okay, um, what mask protects me from COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and make them say what does because it's my understanding that a lot of them do not and then secondly make them provide it hit them in the pocketbook Um, because a lot of this seems like it's being put back on us as the individuals and i don't want to wear a mask anywhere i don't think that they work i'm not in a at-risk age group but i think the the liberals or the progressives do a really good job of going after the simple things and really driving the points home and i feel like we're more interested in talking about the particular medical research rather than just ask them, um, hey, provide me the equipment. Give me a mask that works. Put yourself out there so that if I get COVID, I can sue you for giving me a mask that doesn't work. Turn it back on them. 
I'm very uh, happy to do it if you have the time and patience, Aaron. <laughs> Honest to God, I am. I was, I was, I was, um, I, I, I think, though, what has happened with friends of mine who have tried that is they're just brushed aside by someone who says, we don't have time for this. This is the rule. You can take it or leave it. But one of the things you may add to your arsenal of, uh, of, uh, of debate and rhetorical weaponry is looking at the box the masks come out of. Bill, can I have you? I'm sorry. Would you mind doing I, – I, 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 I was curious the other day. I ran to my car and I keep a boss, box of masks just you know in case. Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I wore one, but in case. Thank you, Bill. Uh, and it was in his studio. I left it with him. It's, uh, it's, it's a standard box, the kind you see a lot of places are happy to give you a mask from if you don't have one. Just I ask if they do this, Aaron, and you do have the time and patience. Um, read, read the back of the box with them. Um, because I think nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, you're going to find this statement on the box. I'll read you directly the statement on the back of my box. This mask is not proven to reduce the transmission of diseases. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I noticed as well. So that that was kind of my strategy. This, you know, a bunch of people go at them from a simple starting point, and even big box retailers, if they're telling you you have to wear personal protective equipment to walk into their store and they're not providing that. And I'm not a lawyer, so I'm hoping maybe somebody smarter than me can explain that. But I don't know how they're getting away with that. And then if they're telling me I have to wear a cosmetic thing to enter the store, then isn't that a different argument? And that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand the argument. And I wish I wish we had better legal legs to stand on. I unfortunately don't think we do. Uh, unless it comes to a public um, a public space, excuse me, a literally public space like a like a public school or uh, a government agency, government employees, that's a little bit different. But private institutions and retailers, uh, until they are ordered otherwise, they are allowed to ask you to like they can tell you no shoes, no shirt, no service. They can tell you that about a mask. That's uh, that 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 being the case requires the other plan B that you mentioned, Aaron, which is there will be stores that don't. And let's go to those stores. I um, I remember when the mask requirement indoors here uh, uh, was becoming became optional. Uh, there was a, a few stores. There were a handful of stores that were the first to have their employees unmask and allow their customers to unmask. And it was a bit of a cottage thing amongst uh, people who knew each other and were of the same belief, you know, people who thought like you and I that we would email and text, hey, AJ's is letting you go in without a mask. Go to AJ's or whatever the other stores were, and there were a few. I would like to think that that made a difference. I would like to think that that can make a difference. And I would like to think that common sense in the American people will put their money where their mouth is and tell these retailers that we aren't a sick society. I, I would hope. I would hope. I would, too. And it's a great uh, opportunity to support small local businesses, because like you, I noticed those were the first places that applied common sense. And those are the people that I want to uh, spend money with. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Those that trust their employees and trust their, their customers. Why wouldn't you want to spend, right? 
I, I mean, I, I would no, like not to spend money with a organization or an institution that doesn't trust me. I know I'm not sick. If I'm sick, I'm not going to infect people by, because I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to stay home. Now, someone will say, well, you know, you may not know if you're sick. Well, I mean, okay, fine. You may not know if you have the flu either. You may not know if you have influenza either. There's a lot of things you may not know about. But I think most Americans at this point are pretty well aware if they were exposed or not. And if there was an accidental exposure and there's, you know, non, uh, non-symptomatic or asymptomatic transmission, um, you know, it happens. It happens. And God forbid – but then you have a 99.9% chance of surviving. And frankly, Absolutely. I don't think freedom requires much more of an equation than that. No. When, when did we become so risk-averse? I mean, we take 1970. risks we do. 1970. I say 1970 within a variance of a few years. 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, somewhere in that range when it became popular to claim we were a sick society. Um, in 1968, Richard, the, the L.A. Times wrote an editorial about America. It was the year that we lost, uh, due to assassination, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King. We had race riots throughout the country. Uh, Vietnam was not looking to be going well. And the L.A. Times editorial page wrote that America is a sick society. Richard Nixon gave a big speech at the 68 convention saying we are not a sick society. The popular songs around that time were, were on the eve of destruction. And then we had the population bomb, which was going to destroy the universe because of childbirth. And then we had nuclear winter, which in the with the nuclear arsenal in the hands of Ronald Reagan was going to destroy life on Earth as we know it. In fact, Walter Mondale, running for president, ran a TV ad where kindergartners looking out of a school window were watching the world explode around them. But let's care about the children and not terrify them. Yes, never happened. Never happened. But we're a different country than we were. If you doubt me, I mean, just think about what microaggressions 18 years, 18 year olds were worried about in 1944. You think the 18-year-olds today could handle the microaggressions of the 18-year-olds of 1944? Definitely not. Definitely not. They get better as a society. Yeah, no, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We cast straight and bid the gildings be fruitful. We know what's going on here. Knowing it, what are we prepared to do about it? Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. This open line Friday, 602-508-0960. There's our good friend Rob in surprise. Hello, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. Happy Friday to you. Um, I wanted to bring up some decency, stability stuff. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, or was it three years? Three years ago, I guess, we met a, a nice German couple in Palm Springs where we always stay at the Hotel California uh, where you can check in anytime you want, and you can leave. What a concept. You can um, leave. What are the smell of yeah, Kalitas like? That's right. And we ended up, um, you know, be, becoming good friends. Um, 
the day they left, uh, the wife uh, gave us a, uh, was it a yellow rose? A red rose, um, which was just a nice gesture. And um, we've been Facebook friends, and we were going to meet him uh, next month in Palm Springs at the Hotel California. Um, but unfortunately, because they live in Germany, and I guess there's some restrictions now, allow, not allowing people, and they've been vaccinated, you know, to come into the States and, and stay. They, as you know, in Europe, they, they have like month-long vacations. They were going to go to Hawaii and then come back to the U.S. and hang out in Palm Springs with us for a few days, but um, apparently they can't do that. But I just like uh, the decency of this fine couple. Uh, they're younger than both of us. And uh, just the fact that uh, she was kind enough just after, you know, talking to us and hanging out with us at the pool, uh, giving us a rose the day they were leaving. I just thought that was, I was touched. No, I'm it's not, a it's well, a big deal. Touched, the small but, things. Oh, my gosh. These yeah. small things that say big things. And I love that story, and I love that you called in on that word decency. I, I say it in every commencement address. Decency is one of the few words that are is, is practically self-defining in any situation. If you're maddened or unsure and you ask yourself what the decent thing to do is, it almost always presents oh, yeah. itself. It's not hard well, yeah, to figure out. It's hard to initiate. Well, it is. Um, the other thing, too, before the whole COVID thing started in February of 2020, uh, Mrs. Rob and I went to the Cook Islands, Rarotonga specifically, and we made friends with the manager, the female, uh, whose husband was a school teacher there. And um, she would she would bring us beer, uh, which is nice, and it's very expensive there uh, because they have to ship it from New Zealand or something. And uh, we're also Facebook friends with them. Um, the husband gave me a very very cool. It's almost like a bowling shirt, but it's got uh, sort of a black with uh, tropical palms or something on it, and it's just the, the Rarotonga, and then Nancy got the wrap from uh, Saran. Uh, Saran. Okay, sorry about that. Um, and again, those those were uh, gestures. It's important that we know it was a Saran. Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly, or whatever it is in, in the Cook Islands. It's important sure. that we know it was a Saran, while 90% right. of this audience, including me, doesn't know what a Saran is, but that's okay. Well, it's something Oriental Asian that you, a woman wraps around herself. Hence the uh, word rap. Okay, I'm with you. I'm just yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on your side here, Rob. I'm pushing back a little <laughs> okay. bit. That's all. Now, now, in, uh, and and you'll appreciate this next part. Um, about a week ago, I was uh, listening, or I was actually watching uh, an old video of uh, Firing Line with Bill Buckley and Steve Allen, and their topic was capital punishment. No kidding. And no kidding. It was it, it was from about 1966. In fact, this was like in the pre. Uh, was it Brandenburg Concerto Third Movement? Yeah, before two, his famous uh, opening. Da, 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 da. Before yeah. the famous opening, yeah. yeah, which I think you'd appreciate because it has a high trumpet thing. Absolutely, very, very piccolo cool. trumpet. You bet. Yeah, piccolo trumpet played exactly. by Maurice and, Andre. How cool is that? Yeah, Maurice Andre, French See, French trumpeter. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, we know things here. Go. We know things here. Well, we do. We know. <laughs> and, by the way, by the way. Did, did you know that uh, it was the uh, entire uh, second Brandenburg Concerto that was put on uh, the two Voyager flights sent into outer space uh, back in, I don't know, whenever that was, 60s or something? Um, and also that uh, Paul McCartney was inspired by that movement 
when he wrote Penny Lane. And if you remember Penny, Penny oh yeah, Lane, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. There's a piccolo trumpet oh. in there too. You bet. Exactly, and that was inspired by uh, the Brandenburg Concerto Number no. Two, which I thought was very cool. But I, I in, in watching them, and again, both Bill Buckley and Steve Allen, who's just who was just brilliant in in so many ways. I mean, the guy, you know, the Steve Allen show, I think, was the predecessor to. Jack Carr and the Johnny Carson show. Known as a um, literal genius, evidently. He, evidently some kind yeah. of literal genius, as I recall. Wrote a lot of songs himself. Oh, yeah. Now, he he actually was on the side of being against capital punishment. I imagine he would then, be. Yeah, and then Bill Buckley, of course, was on the pro side, but yeah. only because of the biblical aspect of uh, the commandment, thou shalt not murder, right? Yeah. Um, but, but what really struck me when I was watching them, how civil they were, Mm -hmm. how decent they were, and how they were able to communicate uh, in a a very civil way that we just don't see anymore anywhere, whether it's TV. Yeah, but you're you're so good on this, Rob, and you're right. And you know why? It's not because of the problems of the side of William Buckley. No. No, I want to tell you something about uh, those, those firing line things, because you're right. Buckley was known as the most basically intellectual conservative man in America or popular intellectual conservative man in America. And not only would it have been polite with him and um, and Steve Allen, I've seen ones with him and Noam Chomsky, who was probably the most famous leftist academic in America at the time. Well, yeah. Right. And, and they do an was... hour of civil discussion, agreeing exactly. on and nothing. He did it. He did also. I agree, and I, I think he also did one on George Lincoln Rockwell. Yeah, no, he did it. Yep. You know, he he was like the leader of the American Nazi Party or something way back when. Yep. But I mean, he'd have guests that were of opposing viewpoints, but they were able to discuss things in a civil manner um, and in a respectful way where we obviously are not seeing any of that anymore. I was anyway. trying to figure out what the difference is in the left that doesn't allow for that conversation. Because the left, given their druthers, one of the ironies is that show was put on by, uh, was obviously aired on public broadcast. PBS. Right. That's right. Of all things, yeah. right. So what exactly. the left do t- would do today is not even allow that show to air. And it would call right. William Buckley a, a, a white supremacist based on his positions on race relations, I guess, in the 1960s. They would find oh, yeah. other other problems to silence him or censor him. That's that's one of the problems. But if you were to get through the Death Star of censorship and have a show like that, the problem you would find with arguing with the left the way he did, what's changed in the left is this is this weird syndrome of – this weird syndrome of invincible ignorance. You know, if you watch Noam Chomsky yeah. or uh, uh, Steve Allen or whoever you want debating with William Buckley, they do concede points. They oh, do yeah, recognize do. points that he will make or facts. They do concede facts. Let me take this break. Let me come right back. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Open line Friday, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Little Ronnie Millsap for you there. Robin, surprise, we were talking decency and other things, including 
firing line. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you one last um, example of a great debate on the death penalty. By the way, if you, it's an interesting okay. issue in and of itself. Uh, I know it's not specifically what you called about, but everything gets discussed here, and it, it's on my mind with another great rhetorician and debater. Several. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing issue the death penalty because. It's one of the few issues that I think it's fair to say. How much can you debate it? Um, the sides are the sides, and what's been said about it are, you know, pretty obvious to most people. It goes about three sentences deep each way for most people discussing yeah. it. But one of the most brilliant hours and a half to two hours I would ask you to spend on tell on your computer would be the fi- would be the debate between Christopher Hitchens and Jesse Jackson on one side opposing the death penalty against uh-huh. against Hadley Arcus and a Stephen Markman who is a judge in favor of the death penalty forget Jackson and Markman just watch Arcus and Hitchens go at it and you will see not only the power of debate in the hands of a great mind you will have spent an hour and a half to two hours getting really smart listening to these two giants just go at it on the death penalty. It's very good. It's yeah. a, uh, Get it at cspan.org, I think, is the best way to see it. Anyway, I, I, I just had to add that, but go ahead, sir. Oh, no, no. I, I think that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I'm personally, uh, I am I'm pro death penalty because, uh, and again, the arguments are it's never applied evenly. Uh, there's always that concern about an innocent person being executed, and I understand and appreciate all that. But uh, you have to have a legal system uh, that's consistent, which is one of the problems we really haven't had for such a long time, and that's one of the problems we have regarding the death penalty. It's not a touchy-feely thing. It's also a math problem when you think about how much it costs to incarcerate somebody for 50 years versus, uh, you know, a known murderer, uh, one who was accused and uh, judged guilty by a jury of his peers, um, and then the appeals process and all that stuff. Um, and then the inhumane aspect, I guess, of uh, some people will argue that, oh, geez, you know, gassing somebody, electrocuting somebody, firing squad. Uh, was it Gilmore that uh, yeah. Yeah, those right. shots right. and everything? Well, I think, again, we're more humane uh, to those people. And, and, uh, just like, you know, we are humanely euthanizing sick animals than we are with the victims of those who, people who perpetuate or who perpetrated the crime. And, and again, that's, you know, it's, it's a deterrence issue, number one. If somebody who's a criminal knows that uh, if they kill somebody and are caught and convicted, they're going to die. That, for, again, for those that don't believe in deterrence, for those that don't believe yeah. in deterrence principles, just go to San Francisco and ask why items under $900 are being stolen from stores routinely. Well, no, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it doesn't apply just to the death penalty. because we said we're not going to enforce law. misdemeanors of theft under $1,000. That's why, right? Yeah. Deterrence does. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. that's just totally insane. And, of course, California is totally insane, which is why they need Larry Elder. Um, but real quick, on the, on the uh, books that influenced yeah. me, and I know I mentioned fail-safe the other day, yep. uh, when I was when I was a little kid, I read A Night to Remember by Walter Lord. It was about the Titanic sinking. Uh, that made me a Titanic freak for life, and I was a member of the Titanic Historical Society for the longest time. Um, 
Animal Farm, I think, goes without saying. And I think, again, I read that in around seventh grade when I read 1984 and Failsafe. Um, and uh, on the beach, I think Neville shoots, again, sort of apocalyptic. Uh, the world's coming to an end, and it's, it's, a, it's a downer. And it was made into a great movie with Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner. Um, the Killer Angels by Michael Cera, which was about uh, Gettysburg, I think, uh, was the basis for Ted Turner's uh, four-hour movie, Gettysburg, and I, which I thought was brilliant, um, and I thought the book was brilliant. Um, perhaps The Drum Wonder by Mel Torme. Mel Torme and Buddy Rich were the bestest of friends, and uh, Mel wrote his biography. And then Tom Wolfe, uh, not just the right stuff, but the prelude to the right stuff, uh, he wrote a short story called Jousting with Sam and Charlie. Oh, yeah. With Oh, yeah. And that was uh, Sam and Charlie. Sam was surface-to-air missile, and Charlie was the Viet Cong. Yeah. And uh, that talked a lot about the aircraft carrier and the guys going out and uh, doing their missions and being shot at and everything and coming back. And the way uh, Tom Wolfe described it all was just, again, brilliant. That, 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 that That's a great curriculum you just gave right now. Those authors would be a great curriculum. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Portions of Rich are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. Cool Touch Air Conditioning, and Heating, and Plumbing is the company I use. I've used them for plumbing. I've used them for air conditioning. You don't have to think about heating right now. You have to use them to know what I mean when I tell you you will not experience customer service with any other company you engage in like you do with Cool Touch. They do what they say. They say what they'll do, and they do it 24-7. Whether your problem is Monday morning or Saturday night, they'll be there for you. Right now, they're talking about a new air conditioning system they have that reduces the need for the air conditioning unit to turn on and off to maintain the temperature you want. When it turns on and off the way most air conditioning units do right now, it produces power surges that are huge drags on your power bill. This is like a dimmer switch that maintains a constant generation to keep you just at the temperature you want with the biggest of savings on your power bill. But for that system or any other system or a repair or inspection, Cool Touch is the air conditioning company I, my friends and family, use. Give them a call at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932. Or visit them online at cooltouchac.com. Barbara's in Glendale. Hello, Barbara. Well, hello, Seth. How, How are, are you? you? I'm well. Hi. How are you? You good? Very well. I'm pretty good. I've I've got a little scratchy throat for a while, but that's okay. I don't think it's COVID. Okay. I love your show, Thank and you. I love your thoughtfulness Thank and your reasonableness you. and your courtesies. And I love the idea that man was saying about reading the mask box. Yes, right. I have decided when we go to medical offices, especially, we have to wear a mask. Yes. And I'm going to say something like, um, you're in the business of health or keeping a healthy place, and you base that on science. Can you help me get a few studies that show how much mask wearing is helping us? Good. Good. That's, a, that's about it. I don't know how to get... And if they have a box of masks, look at it and yeah. show it to them. It's going to have yeah. a disclaimer on it, most likely. Yeah. 
I, I, I um, look. I, I just think that's right. We're 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 here not to make people feel good. We're here to make people think, so that hopefully, after due thought, good things will be done. The yes, point here is not to make people feel good, which was the first point Anthony Fauci said about wearing masks in the first place. It might make you feel good. We're not here to make people feel good. If you need a therapist, hire a therapist. Yeah, and We're not so here to be a national couch. Yeah, if they're so concerned with how we feel, they should think about how the children feel and how damaging this is to them. Well, I just thought it was pretty callous for Jen Psaki to say what she said today, Barbara. Bill, can you play this question and answer the press secretary? I never thought we'd be in the grips of listening to kindergartners for health problems for public health policy in America. Be too much to ask. He says that his concern is about harmful emotional, academic, and psychological effects of putting kindergartners in masks for hours at a time. Is there any concern from officials that you guys talked to in your early pre-decisional uh, discussions about that? No, there's not. And I will tell you from personal experience, my rising kindergartner told me two days ago she could wear a mask all day and she's just happy to go to camp and go to school. Take and the that. Objective- Take that. Her six-year-old is fine wearing a mask. Six-year-old is fine wearing a mask. I don't want to begin to think about other things the Saki household puts their six-year-old through. And it would be unfair to speculate, even though she opened the door. But that's not how we do public policy in America, and it shouldn't be how we do health policy in America. We don't listen to six-year-olds. We've been on this trajectory for a while. We've given 18-year-olds the right to vote on all matters of public health policy, including the legalization of drugs. I think that's a mistake. But I never thought we'd be listening to six-year-olds for the advice and justification of universal child masking. The notion that she says it never came up, we never discussed the health risks to children, is a callousness that I don't even think Joe Biden would answer with. We have the studies. The one I am most moved by is the study involving over 25,000 school-aged children that showed 24 distinct health issues associated with wearing Masks, increased headaches, difficulty concentrating, drowsiness or fatigue, malaise, sleep issues, dizziness, shortness of breath, accelerated respiration, tightness in chest, weakness, and short-term impairment of consciousness. This is why the World Health Organization, this is why the World Health organization says that no child should be masked up to the age of five and children aged six through 11 should quote consider the potential impact of mask wearing on learning and psychological development close quote when people said trust the science and trust the scientists i didn't think they meant the six-year-old ones i know dookie hauser was a popular show, but even he was older than six. 
Bill, do you have what I just sent you as an email audio file? Is that available to you right now or not quite yet? Can you pop that up? Is that available to you? When, when, when you hear about masking hesitancy or vaccine hesitancy and you think that it's the problem of Trump, white, evangelical Trump supporters, listen to this. I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. If and when the vaccine comes, and it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. Let's just say there is a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? We will need to have access to the vaccine results so we can make our independent assessment to make sure that Donald Trump's uh, fingerprints are not on it. You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. Is the vaccine safe? Uh, Frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. And I wouldn't recommend to New Yorkers based on the federal government's opinion. And the question of whether it's real when it's there, that requires enormous transparency. Would you trust that vaccine? There's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. We cannot take for granted this process will be free of political influence. I don't trust the president, and I don't trust the FDA. If Donald Trump can't give answers and his administration can't give answers to these three questions, the American people should not have confidence. You're going to say to the American people now, here's a vaccine, it was new, it was done quickly, but trust this federal administration and their health administration. For anyone who has doubts about the vaccine and has reason to doubt the vaccine, all you have to do is say, I'm sorry. I was just listening to Joe Biden, Andrew Cuomo, Kamala Harris, and Ilan Omar. Sorry. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm sorry, but I just can't get through or over this. Can I have Jen Psaki again today, please? He says that his concern is about harmful emotional, academic, and psychological effects of putting kindergartners in masks for hours at a time. Is there any concern from officials that you guys talked to in your early pre-decisional discussions about that? No, there's not. And I will tell you from personal experience, my rising kindergartner told me two days ago she could wear a mask all day. Do you remember when Rachel Walensky, the head, Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, said that schools could reopen in the fall without full full vaccination of the population? And the next day, Jen Psaki said she was only speaking in her personal capacity. I wonder if Jen Psaki's daughter was speaking in her personal capacity. But the point I'm trying to make here is I guess when people no longer listen to their doctors, you give them six-year-olds. Honest to God, that's the worst thing I've heard from the White House podium when it comes to coronavirus since the coronavirus came to America. 
it really is from the administration that said, trust the science, trust the scientists. And this callousness of not taking into account any of the emotional or educational harms that will come from children. Here's the British Medical Journal. If it's not the third or fourth most important medical journal in the world, it's certainly top five. Face masks prevent the mirroring of facial expressions, a process that facilitates empathetic connections and trust between pupils and teachers. This potentially leads to a significant increase in socio-psychological stress. During childhood and puberty, the brain undergoes sexual and mental maturation through hormonal epigenetic reprogramming. Several studies show that long-term exposure to socio-psychological stress leaves the neuroepigenetic scars that are difficult to cure in young people and often escalate into mental behavioral problems and a weakened immune system. A recent study by the CDC concludes that in young adults, the level of anxiety and depression has increased by 63% since the corona crisis. A quarter of them think about suicide. As a result, the use of antidepressants has increased 25%. Several researchers have shown a relationship between the increase in stress experience and the risk of upper respiratory tract infections and mortality. Tell the kids they're going to die. Tell the kids they're going to make their teachers sick. Tell the kids they're going to make their friends sick. Cover the faces of adults they're learning from and being instructed from. And you haven't made men without chests. You've made a society. You've made a society that's going to have a health pandemic the likes of which it has never seen. And it will be psychological. It'll be psychiatric. It'll be sociological, and it will be something this country is truly not ready to handle.